0: Is it real or is it a hoax? For ages, he is hidden in the forest, eluded hunters, baffled scientists, and remain a mystery. My entire life I've seen shadow people. For powerful and effective constipation relief...
1: Hello, and how the devil are you all? And Merry Christmas. Well, I don't believe in Christmas, humbug. But, but um,
2: um, it is that time of year. Yeah. So I wanted to say, um, if you're working away, if you're in the military, and forces, and uh, you are working away at Christmas, it's it's a bit shit, is it? But um, we are very grateful for what you do. Uh, myself, I've got family members that are working away, so I know... I know what that's like, so um, yep, thank you for your service. Yep, thank you. And that goes for anybody that's working <laughs> away as well. It's a uh, shit time of year to be working away, yeah. in it, especially if you've got kids and all the rest of it. So we do appreciate that, and uh, we appreciate you for listening to the podcast today. Uh, today we are going to be talking about...
1: Borley Rectory.
2: The hauntings of Borley Rectory. Yes. And it is allegedly haunted by... Various different critters, uh, Uh, yeah,
1: different kind of entities. But I think the most famous one is the monk and the nun. The nun, yeah, and um, I've actually got a joke about a nun. Oh, go on, then You're going to tell uh, it. As well, tell it now. Yeah, it's it's
2: It's uh, it's probably not the greatest joke, but it's not blue, is it? Well, it goes like this. It goes: the vicar, right? So he's got some he's got some odd jobs that he needs doing. So these two nuns are come into his uh, church and he says to him, he says, ladies, he says, have you got um you know, a spare few hours? He said, I've got loads to do, I'm not gonna get it done on my own. They said, Absolutely, what do you want us to do? He says, Well, downstairs the basement area, you need you know, one of these rooms that's just off to the side of the church, he said, It really needs decorating. Um, it's been you know, I've been, been to do it for a while and uh, I just can't got around to it. He said, I've got to go out for a few hours um and get some stuff done he said, would you mind? And they said, absolutely not. Right, we're free. We'll 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 get, we'll get crack on with painting. So he goes off on, on his errands and the, the two nuns go into this room and anyway, they start painting in this room. And it's a particularly warm day. It's a really hot day. And obviously, they've got all the garb on. Yeah. Um. So one of the nuns says to the other one, he says, oh, it's, it's fucking hot in here. Like, he says, oh, well, just take, take your kit off, like. you know what I mean? He says, well, it'll be all right. And he says, yeah, no one's going to come in. The vicar's out all day. And... You know, we're, you know, we're in here, so they lock the door and they uh, disrobe. Okay, and obviously two two nuns disrobing is probably about as sexy as a bog brush, but... They, That's uh, what they look like. Well, yeah, but they disrobe anyway and they're, they're there, they're painting and, that and they're having a good time and they're really hot and that. And then there's a knock on the door, okay, and uh, they say, uh, Oh, shit, you know I mean? Uh, who is it? And uh, this this voice comes back and says, It's a blind man. And they say okay and he says can I come in and they say whoa I ain't got clothes on and she says well he's blind he won't won't, won't be able to see anything so I said okay she says yeah one minute so they go and unlock the door and let him in he says the guy walks and he says right ladies he says where do you want the blind put in
1: <laughs> okay yeah uh, okay then yeah yeah it's shit wasn't it yeah well let's call it your Christmas joke mate yeah, yeah. well yeah. not your very Christmas Christmasy track. but no oh, yeah
2: it is what it is yeah but um yeah, so stay tuned for the paranormal news that'll be coming up, sort of halfway through this, this yeah, story today.
1: You'll lo- you'll love these. Yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, there will be a Patreon episode uh, up this week yeah. if it's not already up. So check uh, look out for that. Uh, that might be f- uh, that might be free for everybody. That one. Yeah, I so think so. It's worth checking out uh, if you don't already pay for Patreon. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So the haunting at Bolly Rectory. Yes. Um, do you want to start with the history of the place? Before yes, can, I'll start with a the uh, ghostly goings-on.
1: Yes. Um, Borley uh, Rectory uh, was constructed near Borley Church by the Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull, uh, Bull in 1862. And he moved in a year after being named Rector of the Parish. Uh, The large uh, brick building was built in a style influenced by Augustus uh, Welby, uh, replacing the earlier Gregorian house built for the previous rector.
2: Now I should point out that the house itself was built on an earlier monastery, a 13th century monastery used to stand in the...
1: Yeah, it used to be be a monastery, which was uh, around there, around 1362. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, it's, yeah, obviously a lot of stuff happened around that place. So, uh, there is evidence uh, for there having been a house on the rectory site before the this one. Uh, the nearby church dates from the 12th century and serves a rather scattered rural community Yeah, it's medieval. yeah of the three hamlets that make up the parish. Uh, there are several substantial farmhouses and the fragmentary remains of Borley Hall, once the seat of the Walden Gray family. So, obviously, there's been family generations all the old time. So, according to a legend, uh, a monk from the monastery carried on a relationship with a nun from a nearby convent. Mm-hmm. After their affair was discovered, the monk was executed and the nun was bricked up alive in the convent walls. Okay, um, yeah. yeah, so, obviously, there. Didn't last very long, did it? Um, yep. Yeah, but it was confirmed in 1938 that this legend had no historical basis and seemed to have been fabricated by the rector's children to rom- uh, uh, romanticize this r- Gothic roman- style. R- r- red- r- roman- romanticize, romanticize. Yeah. So <laughs> was this a uh, monk and nun? You know, because there is allegedly hauntings all the time from a nun and a monk. Well, seems, uh, I mean,
2: that's interesting that it was the the so-called children, the girls of the, the Bull family that are meant to have made up this story because they were the first people to see the nun. Yeah. And they actually saw her crossing the garden. Although some people are not convinced that it is a nun because it's just a woman. Essentially, it's just a woman shape shrouded in a black veil, if you like. Yeah. So they're not convinced it is a nun. It's just a woman in a a black veil. But, but she's been given the name. The, the, well the I, mean,
1: I mean obviously it's built on a, a monastery mm. so, you know, so yeah so that's
2: where that comes back into that yeah. thing but but people's description of it is generally she's just a woman in a black veil so but but she's been given the name the nun so yeah yeah but they were the first to see it the the uh, the, the bulls
1: yep yeah. uh so yeah there was um
2: and one of the other things that happened with the bulls is um the reverend bully actually was that um sick and tired of seeing the nun. While he was eating his breakfast, sitting in the dining room, um, that she kept, com- kept coming to the window, you know, peering in the window, that he actually paid someone to brick up that window. Mm. And then late- in later years, that that br- window still bricked up, or was still bricked up. He okay, got that sick and tired of seeing her, just peering at him while he's eating his breakfast. But it seems to be like, a, for some reason, it seemed to be like a reoccurring thing every... You know, a few days or months, or whatever. Yeah. She should appear at this particular window. So I don't know what that's about. Because obviously there was a house that was possibly there. You know, like it was like some sort of residual. Yeah. Obviously she didn't die when that this new house was built there. Could it have been? You know, there. I don't know. I don't know why. She all, be I looking think in that there's
1: window. also um, alleged sightings of it actually in a house from the window, was not there? Yeah. So people mm-hmm. just go up to the house and see uh, you know this nun in, the, in the looking window, out of it, looking from out, the window. Yeah, so. so you know,
2: it gets about a bit.
1: Yeah, just a bit. The first alleged uh, paranormal events for which there are no accounts, uh, you know, there's no really, you know, that they can't explain, uh, happened around 1863. The first alleged paranormal events for which there are accounts apparently occurred in around 1863, since a few locals later remembered have hearing unexplained footsteps within the house at about this date. Uh, on 20th of July 1900, uh, four of the daughters of the rector reported seeing what they thought was a ghost of a nun from 40 yards distance near the house in daylight. Mm. They tried to talk to it, but it disappeared as they got closer, so that could say residual. Yeah. Uh, the local organist recalled that about that date, the family at the rector were very convinced that they had seen an apparition on several occasions. Uh, various people claimed to witness a variety of puzzling incidents, such as a phantom coach driven by two headless horsemen. Through the next four decades, mm. so they were seen all time.
2: Yeah, but this is before because obviously there's a little bit of controversy comes in later on when a certain family move in the Forsters. But yeah, um, that that coach as well. It, it's folklore, I know, but that coach driven by the horses—that that's become known as the almost the the coach that was going to allegedly whisk the the monk and the nun away to uh, wherever they was going to go before Ooh. they got caught and, and executed. So, uh, you know, again, that's just part of the folklore. They're, they're just, just linking all these things together, but. No one really knows what the coach is about. It's just well, a, I mean,
1: around the area, you know, uh, in Essex, I mean, it, it's, it's rife with headless horsemen and yeah. stuff, you know, so it's not maybe it's that bad. Well, some
2: accounts give it as being headless, some accounts just give it as being a. Mm. Um, I know later on, a, 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 a one of the maids sees it, um, you know, later on as we get through the years, so. Yeah. She, um, didn't recall, she didn't report it being headless, it's just. A coach, Henry by. Dawson
1: uh, Ellis Bull died in 1892 and his son, the Reverend Harry Bull, took over uh, took over Borley in 1911. He married a younger divorcee, Ivy, and the couple moved in with their daughter to nearby Borley Place until 1920. That's when he took over the rectory. Uh, on 9th of June 1928, the, the rector... Harry Bull died and the rectory again became vac- vacant. Mm-hmm. So, in f- yeah, again, in the following year, on the 2nd of October, the Reverend uh, Guy, Eric Smith, and his wife moved into the home.
2: This is where things start started bit to, bit to really strange, yeah,
1: and hit the fan, mate. One day soon after moving in, Mrs Smith was cleaning out a cupboard when she came across a brown paper package. Inside was a was skull of a young woman. Mm. Uh, shortly after the family would report a variety of incidents including the sounds of a servant bell ringing on their own which the strings had already been cut
2: yeah the servant bells were disconnected, yeah, time. disconnected. I, I suppose I should point out at this point that there was 13 bedrooms in this building yeah. so so when we say you know, she moved in and then after a while she found this skull and you know what I mean it is it, a big place so I guess you could you could have a, a particular room that you'd never really ventured into yeah. for a while so Uh
1: yeah. <clears throat> uh, there lights appearing in the windows Unexplained footsteps um, In addition Mrs Smith believed she saw A horse-drawn carriage at night uh, The Smiths Contacted the Daily Mirror
2: All this was going on and the Smiths Wanted a little bit of help so they got in touch with The paper who contacted the Like a well-known Sort of uh, paranormal Investigator at the time yeah. A guy called Harry Price who later goes on to write the story of Borley and becomes a bestseller and all the rest of it. But at the time, they were looking for a bit of help and they contacted the, I think they contacted the Cycle Research Society. Yeah. Uh, they put him in touch with a paper and the paper got in touch with Price. He agreed to come down, so he comes down with a reporter and he was sceptical when he first came. Well, well,
1: I think most of his job was to uh, seek out charlatans, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. what he was mostly involved with, uh, Yeah, these these fraudulent mediums yeah, and that. Yeah, that's right, that's his job. So he comes down, like I say, he was sceptical when he came there, but him and the reporter were moseying around the uh, lower floors, just uh, on the way up the staircase, when a candlestick flew past him, a wood, mm. big wooden candlestick, and obviously there was nobody upstairs. So he had first-hand... Um, experience of that. He also encountered while he was there that the the servant bells he had the servant bells ringing, uh, which was a common common thing. A lot of people witnessed that. And again, the 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 bells themselves were disconnected. Yeah, the wire, the yeah. the wires. These are cut the old servant bells. that were on a string and yes, yeah, um, they was
1: cut and disconnected. Yeah,
2: they were disconnected, but they, they they rung. So there was a bit going on. Um, eventually the Smiths get sick of it, uh, and then they move out.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Smiths left Borley on the 14th of July 1929 uh, and after some difficulty in finding a replacement the Reverend Lionel Foister, a fair's cousin of the Bulls and his wife Marianne moved into the rectory with their adopted daughter Adelaide. On the 16th October 1930, Lionel Foister wrote an account of the various strange incidents that happened which he sent to Harry Price. Price estimated that between when the Foysters moved in on October 1935, many incidents took place there, including bell ringing, window shattering, stones, bottle throwing and wall writing, and their, doctor, uh, their daughter was locked in a room with no key. Uh, Marianne Foister reported to her husband a whole range of poltergeist phenomena, which included her being thrown from her bed, On one occasion, Adelaide was attacked by something horrible. Twice, Foister tried to conduct an exorcism, but his efforts were fruitless. In the middle of the first, the Foister was struck on the shoulder by a fist-sized stone. Because of the publicity in the Daily Mirror, these incidents attracted more attention at the time from several psychic researchers who investigated and they were unanimous in suspecting that they uh, were caused consciously or unconsciously by Marianne Foister.
2: Mm. So she was presumed the guilty party for a lot of these things.
1: But again, well, you know, again yeah. A lot of this
2: stuff was going on before her though. Yeah, so, so it so, can't be so it can't all be down to her. Mm. But there was a there was an occasion where they had a guy over called Guy Estrange. Um and he was a headmaster at the time and he was also a magistrate. So not really a guy you'd expect to be fooled by, uh, you know, the goings on, the shout, and uh, you know. But he, he was there and he was taking tea with them. And with that, the, the, the teapot and everything shot off the table and <coughs> over the uh, that Marianne, she she calls for the servant, you know, the pots are broken again. So she comes in and uh, as as she's cleaning up that, they hear uh, noises going on in the corridor. So they venture out into the hallway where they see bottles, glass bottles, you know, wine bottles, that kind of thing, uh, actually floating in the the air and then breaking upon the floor. I and mean, these bottles were materializing out of nowhere. Mm. Um, and obviously, he, he at that point believed what they were saying, and he
1: left. I mean, I mean, in that time, it would be very hard to kind of, you know. Uh, to fake that to fake that yeah
2: that's what I think and with him being like I say he's, he's, you know, he's an intelligent guy he's a magistrate he's an ad master um, and he saw that you know and it wasn't long after that that they actually, the, the Foister's themselves moved out
1: yeah so um, <coughs> well anyway um, Mrs. Foister later stated that she felt some of the incidents were caused by her husband in collaboration with one of the psychic researchers but other events appeared to be genuine paranormal phenomena. Marianne later admitted that she was having a sexual relationship with the lodger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why would you have a lodger in the
2: lecture? In well, she was, uh, I mean, her husband was about 30 years older than her, was so. Yeah,
1: what well, was it? Was he a pain lodger or? No, uh, anyway, uh, anyway uh, the lodger was called... pain in fra- kind, wasn't he? Yeah. The lodger was called Frank Peerless, and that she used paranormal explanations to cover up her liaison. So when her husband said, "What was all that banging last night?" Yeah, go, <laughs> it's, it's the ghost. It's yeah. the ghost. The bed was moving. The ghost made it move. I noticed
2: you wasn't in bed again, and I heard you screaming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> possibly This is possible, you know. because yeah. you know. You know suppose she, well, she got away with it. So uh, the foresters left poorly. As a result of Lionel's ill health, uh, Boiley remained vacant for some time after the Foyster's departure in May nineteen thirty-seven, and then Price took over. Uh, took out a, a, a year's long rental agreement uh, with Queen Anne's Bounty. These were the owners of the property. Okay. Um, through an adver- advertisement in the Times on the twenty-fifth of May nineteen thirty-seven he recruited a corpse of 48 official observers, mostly students, who spent periods, mainly at weekends, at the rectory with instructions to report any phenomena which occurred. So now everybody's going in now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting your psychic researchers, you're getting your mediums, and they're all doing kind of seances, and Ouija boards. I'll just give you this, um, and, you know. give you
2: this, bit, this bit. This is from... Uh, Harry Price's book, and it's about when he first came to the Ooh. rectory, and it says the news editor of the National Paper telephoned me saying that the Reverend G. Smith had appealed for, for help. The most extraordinary things were happening in the rectory. Bells were ringing of the own volition. Strange lights had been seen in empty and locked rooms. The nun had been seen again. Slow dragging footsteps were heard across the floor of an unoccupied room. A young maidservant imported from London had left left after two days of work to her successor declared she had seen an old-fashioned coach drawn by two brown horses gallop through the hedge, sweep across the lawn and vanish into thin air. She too saw the nun leaning over the gate near the house. Ooh, nice. So that was yeah. his, that was his first sort of, you know, that's the the when he first. So you can see why he was singing. But he did say later on. He said, "Although I have investigated many haunted houses before and since, never have I seen such phenomenon phenomenon phenomenon. That's how, it, that's how he would have said it. Phenomena. Phenomena. Uh, so impressed me as as this did on this historic day. Sixteen hours of frills."
1: What's that, mate?
2: It was uh, for 16 hours, the first day. Ah, right. Okay. And it was like, continue, he reckons it was like continuous. Um, but, I mean, where are we up to in the story? Because there's a bit more to what Harry yeah, plays.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, this In March 1938, Helen Glanville, the daughter of S.J. Glanville, this is one of Price's helpers, he, she conducted a planchette seance, of a Ouija board, in other yeah. words, Um, in Streatham in South London Price reported that Helen Glanville made contact with two spirits the first was that of a young nun who identified herself as Marie Leir she said that she had been murdered on the site of Borley Rectory her answers were consistent with that story told by the Bull sisters but in previous seance had identified the nun as uh, Evangeline Westcott now according to legend Marie Lear was uh, a French nun who left her religious order, married and came to live in England the, the groom was supposedly none other than Henry Waldengrave which we mentioned earlier was the owners of the site it was
2: a local family yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Um, she claimed to have been murdered in 1667 Price uh, exposed the theory that the ghostly nun who had been seen for generations was Marie Lair. She was condemned to wander restlessly as her spirits searched for for a holy burial ground. The wall writings were her pleas for help. Well, I mean, I've seen her wall writings and. Yeah, they're, they're scribble, indistinguishable, basically. basically. Yeah, the best. What's well, scribble?
2: I mean, there is a wit- another witness to that. There was a guy who was a local um, paper editor. Well, he went on to yeah. be the local paper editor. A guy called Charles uh, Winter, I think his name was. And he conducted a few investigations um, with Harry Price. I think Harry Price reached out to the paper and this guy was sent along. And again, he goes in there, sceptical. And on a few occasions, he actually sealed the door up with a piece of cotton. So he sell a piece of cotton across the door so no one could go in there. Locked door, sealed room. And then, then later on, they go and open the door and have a look in. Um, the seal would be unbroken. They go in and they'd actually see writing on the wall. Yeah. Um, and one time he claims that he actually saw the writing being written yeah. on the wall.
1: Well, he, he can't really fake that.
2: Just for a brief second, and then it sort of realized, or the ghost, whatever, realized yeah. it, he was there and then stopped writing. So, yeah. That's another person who. So we, we've
1: got we, really man. <coughs> there is there is um, some kind of uh, you know so, some stuff to this. You know, it's not all fake. It's not all to me. I think it's, there is still a lot of hauntings. In I think to, even today there is. Stuff, I mean, we're, we're going on like, later late to the church. Yeah, which is now kind of because the board is gone.
2: Well, the price is the is the principal architect of all this, and he, he's late, He writes the books and all mm. the rest, but he gets this. Sort of out to the public uh, domain, but there's a lot of criticism, not least from the Cycle Research Society. They said a lot of his claims bogus. He uh, elaborate uh, exaggerated a lot of them.
1: That sounds a bit to me because if he if he was out to uh, you know expose the, the charlatans, then mm. he's you know maybe he was a charlatan himself.
2: But it could have just come. It could have just got to such a uh, point where um, you know. He was he was going to make money from it. Well, you know? I mean, he took
1: out a year's lease to the place, so he he, he, he wasn't sure to change, though, was he? Well, well no, for, but, his, for his wife.
2: There was a guy called Charles Sutton, right? Who was a newspaper reporter reporter at the time, and he recalls a visit to Borley and he with Price in ninety uh, July nineteen twenty nine, and he says this. He says, as we stood on the lawn, Harry Price explained to me that he had been standing there in the same spot with uh, Lord Charles Hope. A week previous, when a window had broken and the glass cascaded to the ground, within two or three seconds of Price pointing out to me the glasses the glasses frame of the window, his the neighbor suddenly smashed another cascade of glass tumbled down. Mm. So he's saying, "You know, we stood in the we stood in the thing." He says, "Oh, you see that window there? It broke last week when I was studying with it, and oh, then Baxter done it." So it's a bit coincidental, yeah. To say well,
1: the it least. Well, is, is, it's also so alleged. That, that Marianne, when the Foysters left, most of the activity stopped. Mm. So when, when Price uh, stepped in, yeah, took a in. lease, yeah. uh, because, well, it stopped, because, because the activity had stopped, it maybe thought, oh, sh- I'm going to have to bump it up BM. here. Yeah, do you so I mean?
2: start exaggerating it? And, <coughs>
1: yeah.
2: And that, one, that woman that was following Mary's secretary, she later became, but she, she uh, was obviously part, allegedly she was in on it, because this Charles Sutton goes on to say, the three of us went around the ground floor in this order. Price, Price's secretary, opening the door, right? she. Uh, I examined each empty room carefully in the light of my uh, of my hurricane lamp and Harry Price following. So the, the order was always the secretary first, then Charles yep. and, uh, and Price, Price behind. Yep. And this hurricane lamp is just uh, is uh, basically a glass lamp where you put a candle in and it stops yeah. the candle blowing out. That's right. Just in case you want to know, so he says. So obviously, he of, so this is what happened. They, they open each door, uh, but before they open the door, he says that they, that he'd often hear a noise inside. But he said the problem was, he said it sounded like a stone being thrown. But he said on on, on a, uh, opening the door, he said he couldn't tell whether there's, he just dared that stone move because mm. there was the the, the the floor was littered with stones, pebbles. So which was is unusual, isn't it? Yeah. He later goes on to say. As I had been concerned about the crashes in the rooms downstairs, Harry Price was about to lock them. I suggested that we reverse the order of the... uh, uh, reverse the order and that Harry Price should walk in front of me and open the doors with his secretary should follow me and lock them behind. Yeah. Okay. Price argued against this, the change of order and we proceeded as before so he didn't want he didn't want that you know he wanted to, Price wanted to be at the back so again you know this is raising yeah. his guy's suspicions yep yeah. okay he says but no more than seven or eight steps uh, so if uh, sorry Harry Price again followed him behind but with no no more than seven to eight steps as we crossed the landing there was a series of re, re-, 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 re- a little re- 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 reverberating. Yeah, uh, was that 20 reverberating, crashes. Later, I found that half a brick had rolled down the staircase. Once more, I was aware of a swooshing sound that passed by me. Yeah. So, you know, he, this brick comes past him. My suspicions now fully aroused. I dropped my hurricane lamp, seized Harry Price's coat, and said, now I've got you. I had and I plunged my hands into his coat pockets, and they were full of stones and pebbles. So, you know, he's pretty convinced that it was... He was exaggerating it. He does say, like, I needed no further evidence that Harry Price was responsible for the ghostly noises I heard, and can can never forgive him for ruining the atmosphere of the house, which seemed to promise so much without the aid of material assistance.
1: Right. So obviously, when the when the Foisters left, the activity just dropped. Yeah. So then he he leased a house for the year, tried to prove to everybody, show people that it's true. Which Nothing. I I doubt it. Uh, which I I believe it was all happening. But of course, they when they left, the activity dropped, and he, he thought, you know, I've got to do something here. Yeah. You know, I'm going, I'm gonna lose face here.
2: But um, so he starts exaggerating it, basically. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah.
1: Uh, and then- anyway, the um. Anyway, back to this the seance. That, that's the first spirit, was Marie Le the, the nun. Right, the second spirit to be contacted uh, identi- identified himself by the name of Sunex Amers. He claimed that he would set fire to the rectory at nine o'clock that night. He also said that at that time, the bones of a murdered person would be revealed. The predictions of Sunex Amers came to pass in a way, but not that night, 27th of March 1938. On the twenty-seventh of March 1939, the new owner of the rectory, Captain W. H. Gregson, reported that he was unpacking boxes when an oil lamp in the hallway overturned. The fire quickly spread and Borley Rectory was severely damaged. Mm. Um, an onlooker said uh, she saw the figure. ...of the ghostly nun in the upstairs window... ...and according to Harry Price... ...demanded a fee for her story. All right, yeah. Again, you see... ...you know, money, money, whatever. Uh, the burning of the rectory... ...was investigated by the insurance company... ...and determined to be fraudulent. Mm,
2: they have suspected that, although it could yeah. never be proved. Yeah. Well,
1: no. Anyway, Harry Price conducted a brief dig... ...in the cellars of the ruined house... ...and almost immediately... Two bones of a young woman were discovered, along with the medal of a Saint Ignatius. A subsequent meticulous excavation of the cellars over three years revealed nothing further. Mm. The bones were given uh, a Christian burial. um, And... And Yeah, again.
2: Yeah, the new vicar... Um, obviously, the, the rectory was uh, destroyed and destroyed. Then, it and was then levelled and then it was pulled then, down in '44. Yeah. The the, the 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 new rector he um, took the bones, decided that he'd give them a proper burial
1: in the took church to the
2: church, well, Holy Church, buried them in the graveyard, and then the phenomenon moves from the rectory into the church to this day. And to it's this happened, day. Yeah. To this day, it's
1: still happening to this day.
2: And you've got a situation where you've got um, a few. Um, a couple of elder ladies, they were going to do organ practice at the mm. church. And on approaching the church, this is shortly after the bones had been buried and all that, they, uh, approaching the church, they hear the organ playing on its own. Um, the the door was locked. They let themselves in. The organ stops. They check the organ out. Everything seems to be fine. It's alleged that some local kids later on said that they was playing the organ. Mm. They, they, but again, the, the church door was... I'm not convinced that that was them. And that's happened on a nu- numerous occasions. Figures have been seen, um again this nun. Yeah, And then there was a guy called uh, Peter Underwood, who later wrote books about uh the, the church the church itself yeah. and you know and the, and the history of Borley. And he, he gathered quite a few witness uh testaments
1: to
2: yeah. you know who had seen things. And for example, Early in August 1949, a Lanc- Lancashire rector, previously uh, sceptical of the hauntings, saw a figure of a veiled girl in Borley Churchyard. Churchyard? Ch- Churchyard? What's yeah. that? He told me that he was in the church porch at the time. She passed from behind one shrub to another. Close by and then vanished, the rector immediately went to the spot but could find no explanation as to the appearance of disappearance of the figure. In the answer to my question, he added, she appeared to be a frail girl, I should say, between 18 and 23. It's a weird number, but hey. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you don't she, Yeah, She had a shape of a nun's hood over her head. I couldn't see her features. Again, this, is, this, <coughs> this, this, this black veil again, you know, it's not necessarily a nun, but it is, it's some sort of black veil. Um, you know, which would people would wear for mourning, wouldn't they? So yeah, in a churchyard it, it, yeah, yeah, it could be It uh, could be well yeah. expected. Um <clears throat> This is also um a figure of black a figure in black was reported to have been seen in the churchyard October nineteen forty nine, as it walked quickly and silently towards the little priest's door and vanished. This report is signed by two witnesses. So two people saw that one. Then we get a local doctor saw a stooping nun-like figure on the roadway between the rectory site and the church in nineteen forty-nine. Uh, one of the present occupiers of the cottage, a boy of fourteen, claims that he had seen the ghost nun on three occasions, while his uncle had has reported seeing the same figure on uh, the famous of the famous nun on the, the Nuns' Walk one day in August nineteen fifty-three. And the the part of the- the Nuns' Walk is part of the the the, the, great, uh, the yard there. Yeah, the, the, the garden had like these shrubs down the side, and it was like a just a path back and so forth. And it was called the Nuns' Walk because she was frequently seen there. And again, you know, this guy's seen it. So he so this is after the house is all burnt down and yeah. all that's all so gone. So now the,
1: it's all on the church now. And yet he's seen the they're
2: seeing the they're seeing this nun uh, around the church, and um, Peter Underwood himself. He actually investigated the church, and
1: uh, well, we've, yeah, we've actually got. You know, he's actually put equipment into the church. You know, sometimes he locked it off, didn't he? He left equipment in the church and said, "Let's go." So yep. they locked the church, made sure it was all sealed. Yep. No one can come in. Not obviously, no one, no one can get in, or no one can come out. That's right. So they, um, they, they did a,
2: everything from footsteps to a door opening, but there was we, no door.
1: The, the, yeah, again, it must be because they said they heard a door unbolt and then you know you actually opening, it Um, But then they went in and they found all the doors had been bolted. Mm. They'd been touched.
2: And we can uh, play. I don't know how it will come across in the audio, but we can play that clip for you. Yeah,
1: we'll play that for you. uh, Just so you can
2: get a sense of that. And there is also a sigh.
1: Yeah, that was quite quite freaky, that was. Yeah, Mm. so we'll just
2: play them clips for you now, and then you can, you know, see. I don't know how well it will come across, but let's play it anyway.
0: Our investigation was to be carried out in the church, and we came armed with tape recorders we left the two recorders running on their own inside the building. Before locking the machines in, we searched the building. This session proved to be the most exciting one, for we firmly believe we recorded the sound of a ghost stepping forward and opening something which sounds like a door. At first, we thought we'd recorded the sound of a chancel door being opened, so we investigated this possibility. But neither of these sounds in any way seems to match the ghostly one. Nothing in the vicinity of the altar that we could find could account for the strange recording. We were so intrigued by these events that we returned to the church the following Saturday and spent the entire night there. Having searched the building once more, we locked the machines in. And already, the atmosphere seemed to be changing. Two of the teens said they felt they were being watched by somebody. Now follows the most remarkable sound of all. for quite clearly, the centre microphone picked up what obviously is a human sigh. After this, we decided to break the sequence of visits and to try again during summer conditions. We started recording about 1 a.m., and the first tapes revealed the natural ambience of the building, and nothing else. But as we entered the church at about a quarter to two, we all felt a change in atmosphere. I had a definite tingle pulsing through my body, and a feeling as though a presence were pressing against my back. And yet, there was nothing horrific about it. We felt certain, however, that this run would produce results, and we were right. It's the most surprising sound we've heard to date, and we were able to locate it as originating just in front of the altar rail. If there is anybody in this church who is trying to communicate with us, we'd be grateful if we would try and do something tonight. Perhaps you could give us some indication of how we can help you. At about twenty past three in the morning, we picked up the sound of faint rapping. The team made another random visit at the end of August. A watch was kept throughout the night on the Chancellor's door. And this proved worthwhile, for in the small hours a glow was observed around the door as though a phosphorescent aura were emanating. On this occasion, the church produced yet another sound. This ended with a rather more frightening sigh. It was decided to keep the church manned with observers throughout the entire night. On previous occasions, we'd obtained the best results by leaving the equipment locked inside on its own, and we wondered whether the human presence might have some adverse effect on conditions. At about ten past four in the morning, three of us kept watch on the choir stall adjacent to the altar. This was to be a memorable and frightening occasion. For most of the period, there were odd clicks and taps generated in the area of the font. But as it was extremely dark, we could see nothing. Then we began to see tiny points of light hovering on the curtain behind the font, and on one of the pews about a quarter of the way down the church. At first, we thought we couldn't believe our own eyes, and each one of us thought we were suffering from fatigue. Until we broke the silence to speak about it. I think I must be getting tired of seeing And, Jerry, are you watching Peter uh, um, a piece of the curtain light? Yes, that's where I'm seeing them. It lights as flashes a Yes, I saw one just too. The main one is up in the curtain. Eh? On the right hand side, right in the curtain. Very so curious, isn't it? Yes. Yes, there's one on the field in there. Yes. And I've not seeing things, Peter. Yes. Three of us can see them, so... It obviously exists, whatever it is. It's a strange phenomenon. Yeah, it it? yes. it's Struck this time, isn't it? It's a very Now, just... oh, that was fantastic. We've no idea what that was. It certainly made all of us jump. though some object had been thrown down. me, so that seems to have been tied up with all getting colder and colder. It's like a build of power. After a while, we realised the lights were coming closer to us. But although we stuck our ground, there were no further audible disturbances in the church. And the lights eventually vanished. As to what they mean, it's anybody's guess. But whatever they are, they are physical. The microphones
2: prove that okay so okay. interesting
1: yes uh but say there's been other stuff you know there's been uh you know other noises and uh you know and still and it is you know want to say that it's still happening today yep okay it's still happening it, so, it hasn't stopped there's still a lot of stuff happening in
0: To another
2: instalment of the paranormal news, broadcasting to you from places unknown, bringing you the top three paranormal headlines of the week. Five, four, three,
0: two,
2: one. Three. Right, this is from the Sun. Hoodwinked, mum catches moment, hooded skeleton, monk. Stalked her family on a country walk. Mm-hmm. Clean McCullum was with her daughter, Pippa, twenty two, in Glen Africk, is it, in Scotland, Highlands, when the airy apparition appeared. The fifty five year old had been taking pictures of the stunning surroundings, but was horrified when she came across the creepy snap showing the shape of a man lurking in the woods with a skeletal face. And for those who haven't seen this picture yet, it does look a bit like Skeletor from E-Man.
1: Ah, right, okay.
2: Colleen is hoping the spooky figure was just a trick of light, but paranormal experts say otherwise. Now, I don't know why, but anyway, we'll get into that. The mum from Aberdeen says... I was quite amazed when I saw the reaction from people who stared at the picture. People have been uh, saying lots of things about the book, do <laughs> This is exactly how people from Aberdeen sound. Do no, know? No, <laughs> yeah.
1: right. I've never been to Aberdeen. Yeah.
2: I've been to Glasgow. but oh, okay. Never again. Yeah. The place is a nice nature reserve. Oh no, no, no. this is a quote still. The place is a neat, ni- it's a nice nature reserve. Where you can walk around and there's a private estate well frequently frequented by a lot of celebrities such as pippa milverton and david buckham yeah. as we walked along i noticed that the light from the ferns which was made a nice scene so i took a photo on my phone enough. In Scotland, <laughs> it was only when i got home that i looked at the picture i'd taken and noticed the figure I looked back at the image and jumped, jumped out at me. It gave me quite a fright. Yeah, right,
1: yeah.
2: Straight away, I thought, what on earth is that? Logic says it's a trick of light.
1: Well, we'll leave up to the, the picture in the half. If you've seen
2: people. it for a while, you would run a mile. Pippa thought it was really creepy at the same time. But... It was strange. Colleen, who is a believer in the paranormal, well, I mean, that doesn't really matter, does it? No, it doesn't matter. she is. Uh, posted the spooky snap online and has been inundated with responses from people convinced the figure is real. But mum is still sceptical and believes maybe the photo was just perfect timing and lighting. One user commented, I have to agree. It looks like a skeleton monk. Another said, Me too. It looks like a skeleton monk. One rope. But it's a trick of life. It looks very real to me. Glen Arrith is where Pippa Middleton... round. I don't give a fuck about that. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> interested in Pippa Middleton. But anyway, the picture itself is... It is a picture of Ferns and obviously when you zoom in it does it just looks like a tree yeah um, you know like these usually blob-squatch things but actually the the picture itself from zoomed out is pretty creepy and I will put it on the hangout the Don't Break the Paranormal hangout on Facebook please join us there say hello yes and uh, we will uh, endeavour to respond to you we respond to everybody of course if you've got a story for us please send it you can send it on there or you can send it by email uh, and it, that is in the show notes dbtlpodcast at gmail.com mm. but um, yeah I'll still put that picture on there and you can look at it it's an interesting story but probably just a trick of like possibly definitely
1: I've got a better one than that go on then much better one than that two yeah. things that go bonk in the night Right. Oh, right woman's who claims she had sex with a ghost Says it was the best she's ever had.
2: Mm. And well, I remember when you first told me about this, I said, "This is probably the only sex she's ever had." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you know. Well.
2: But it turns out she did come out of long-term
1: relationships. I'll mm. Was she Was she uh, imagining this, or was well, she? You know. Anyway, seeing Jameson, twenty-six from Shropshire, told how she recognised Robert, who lived over one hundred years ago, from a painting in the house she was staying in when suddenly he appeared next to her in her bed and she sobbed when he left as she she says I'd fallen in love with him Uh, Sam Jameson, uh, she's a writer from Shropshire, told how she recognised Robert when he flowed into her bed from a painting in the house she was staying in She moved into the rented property in Aberwisweth, Wales from North London and had noticed his handsome portrait dated 1820 Mm -hmm. hanging above the mantelpiece uh, after their saucy spiritual encounter, Sian said she sobbed when he left as she'd fallen in love. Siam Siam okay. <laughs> she explained how she moved uh, to the area after splitting up from a long-term boyfriend. Yeah, I see. It yep. was an yep. actual person. Yeah. Mm. Everywhere I went reminded me of my ex, she said. I needed a fresh start. This remote cottage was built in the 16th century and was let fully furnished, complete with books and paintings. Mm, that's lucky. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She we... wouldn't
2: know who it was, would she? No. <laughs>
1: uh, she recalled it was great. No distractions, just me, the trees and the sky, and the pier to singing, mm, whatever, yeah. Welsh uh, I was paying my rent by doing bits of copywriting and because I didn't want uh, much uh, in the countryside, I managed okay. I enjoyed the peace, and after a long relationship being on my own was quite exhilarating. I started to wonder whether I'd ever want a man in my life again. Cyan so told our she, she was shocked when she started having sexy dreams. Mm-hmm. But put it down to her, her libido expressing herself while she was sleeping. Um, I'd well, she, wake... Yeah, because she was in the middle of nowhere on her own. so Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. It stands to reason. Um... Yeah, uh, she said I'd wake up thinking I was still in a relationship and was quite relieved to find myself alone, she said, but one night I saw experienced something quite different. A few, uh, a few months after I moved in, I woke early one morning to find a dark-haired, a very good-looking young man lying next to me, she recalled. He was fully clothed in a loose white t-shirt, a neck scarf and an old-fashioned breeches, he had a kind of shimmer to him as if he was behind a fluttering, voile curtain. I told myself I was dreaming and rolled away from him. As I faced the wall I slowly realized I wasn't asleep and suddenly I was frozen with fear. I felt a hand on my waist but the touch was strange, light and cool. Uh, she said she instinctively uh, knew that he was a ghost and recognized him instantly as the man from the painting. Within seconds, she told how they began to have sex. We've mm. got a picture of the guy here as well, so. He was very gentle and stroked my body tenderly, she explained. During the lovemaking, I sensed all kinds of things about him. His name was Robert, and he lived over 100 years ago. He didn't speak. It was if he was communicating with me telepathically. His body was soft and light. Even when he moved on top of me, pressing down, he felt almost weightless. It was very strange, but the sex was amazing. Is it strange that I want to know more details about about the sex? I don't know. Um, her encounter lasted for around an hour. Oh, that's an hour, did he? Okay. Uh, and when she woke up mm-hmm. having fallen well, asleep in their 200, arms, 200 years, a ghostly you? lover just vanished. Thought, well, she's crap. That's yeah. for me. I'm out of here. Yeah, that's normally what happens when yeah when, well, a bloke, when a bloke's finished. He normally disappears. Yeah, usually, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's, that's not just a ghost thing. Well, it's <laughs> a beer for the wife, do not <laughs> yeah. it? So, um, she admitted, I was totally perplexed about what had happened. In fact, I started to wonder whether it, it had happened at all. In the end, I told myself it was just a very vivid dream and put it back to the back of my mind. A spiritualist, Cyan, had always believed in ghosts and claimed to have seen apparitions before, but nothing like this had ever happened. A few days later, she had a paranormal lover returned. Ah, he's back with some more now. (laughs) Uh, Again, he appeared in the morning, we made love again, but this time afterwards, I watched him get up, get dressed and leave the room. I was expecting to hear his footsteps on the wooden stairs, but there was no sound. I watched him through the open door uh, and saw him a kind of fade away as he approached the top of the stairs. She got up and followed, but he disappeared. He appeared one more time after that, she said. It was night time and I was just drifting enough to sleep. All of a sudden, the duvet slid off me and I could feel a cool hand running up my thigh under my Oh yeah. I sobbed after he left that night I guess I had fallen in love right um, this is what one of the experts say uh, you know these psychotherapists um, this woman said although although the experience of making love with a ghost felt very very real to Siam the specter sex always happened either early in the morning or late at night while she was just waking up or just nodding off but we think she's been hallucinating, you know. So I mean, they, they, she goes into detail. Or oh, it could be stress, anxiety, depression, trauma can make weather hallucination. But I'm thinking, well, why not? Possible. Awesome. I mean, you know, say so, you know a travel lodge one at night, you know, or you know, in, and you know, the female ghost comes onto you and you think, no... Oh. Well, I'm i a bit, bit shocked, yeah, but I'm not gonna push it away. Well, yeah, you'd be able to push it away. I don't know, but I, I know it seems, um, you know, you've. Uh, it seems pretty. Well, I mean, she said she fell in love. Well, to me, he doesn't seem a person to be. You know, he just gets up and goes. Yeah, seems to be a
2: plausible story, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, is uh, that kind of thing? This is the things that go bonk in the night. Indeed, of course.
2: One. Right, so continuing the ghost bonking
1: theme. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is, from the, is
2: from the ghost bonkers? Yeah, this is the Huffington Post. This, okay. Uh, I think it was originally in the Express, but it says, British athletes claim sex, ghost, is haunting their reality show. Who are you going to call ghost bonkers?
1: Yeah.
2: Right, so this, this is all taking place on the celebrity TV show, The Jump, which is mm. a British TV show where basically celebrities... Or minor celebrities uh, compete in various winter sports,
1: ski yeah, jumping, and that on kind the not yes. it? Jump, jump, jump up. So,
2: it's not this happens to British Paralympian Kadena Cox and retired rugby player star Gareth Thomas. And they are two celebrities that appear on this show, right? So, it all starts. During the episode, the 25-year-old Cox reportedly asked for a new room after alleging being sexually violated by a ghost. Mm. Mm. Another competing celebrity, Emma Pack Balls, the Duchess of Glamors niece, mm. said she was on the show. Cox was penetrated by some sort of paranormal entity. It's not the same
1: ghost as it was on the back before. No, no, no. It? no. It Sigh, he I gets I mean, around a bit. doesn't does. Thomas, ladies, man. Thomas, man.
2: 42, concurred. She had a ghost going in and out of her. <laughs> the old she had a sleep thing, he said, according to the son. She wished it was a person. It was going in and out of her body. The feeling was apparently so real to her she asked to change room. As did Thomas. I don't know if he had a ghost <laughs> going,
1: <laughs> coming uh, out of Hey, him. No, Let's not go there, mate. All right. When, when he wanted to change room, you yeah, okay.
2: won't even take the chance.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. It could I have been wanted a male, to move to,
2: to a different floor because when I'm hearing ghost stories, I think this is Thomas. Uh, this is Thomas saying this. When I I wanted to move to a different floor because when I'm hearing ghost stories, I was at the very very end of the corridor and I got scared. He said, according to the Express. Cox and Thomas are just the latest semi-famous people who have claimed to have ghost sex. Last last year, Bobby Brown promoted his autobiography, claiming a ghost had sex with me. I wasn't high, Brown told 2020, and I wasn't tripping. In September 2012, Cashier told Ryan Seacrest her song, Supernatural, yeah, I'm not all with the pops. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not heavy metal, that. me. But anyway, she said that her song "Supernatural" for those of you who know that song was inspired by by a randy romp with a male ghost. Ooh. It's about an experience with a supernatural, but in a sexy way. She told Seacrest. "I had a couple of experiences with a supernatural. I don't know his name. He was a ghost, but I'm very open to it. The concept of ghost uh, sex arouses a lot of interest." And there is some people, sceptophiles, who fantasize. Spectrophiles, I not that is, Spectrophiles. What a fucking word. Who uh, fantasize about spooky encounters. Ooh. The bunkers, however, are quick to dismiss the ghost Ooh. on human whoopee. Ben Radford, the department editor of Skeptical Enquirer magazine, calls such experiences. Hypernomic and hypergivable.
1: Another bullshit. Yeah.
2: Hallucinations. Yeah, it yeah. These vivid hallucinations, yeah, 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 which can yeah. be sexual, are common to people who are going in and out of sleep. Yeah, whatever. Well, that would be everybody, wouldn't it? Everybody's going in and out of sleep, and not everybody's shagging a ghost. That so. No, no. So do one. Yeah. on you know, closing then, where do we where do, where do you stand on all this because to me i know um the foisters get a bad rap and air confessions didn't help you know well, no, 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 um but the, the the issue for me is that um a lot of this stuff happened before they was there and again yeah. it's still happening after i mean a lot of them are dead now and it's still happening so there's an element of truth to this i think a lot of it is exaggerated yeah um, I think the witness testimony of the you know the non or, or this non particular nun and the and the coach I think that's probably true.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think is that I think is it quite true. I think Harry Price was a again. Uh, you know, I think you, I think he went into the place to fa- to call more charlins because that's what his job is to expose them. You know, say oh you are charlin, yeah. you know, you you fake. And I think he went to Borley and found that shit. This is true. But when there's... so then he obviously I think when the forces moved out it stopped. So when he rented it out, he's gonna oh, what we gonna do? Yeah, gonna, the... I, I am gonna have to. Yeah, he needed, some... he needed to write yeah. a
2: book on it. And once the papers got involved, I think it was just a catalyst, and he he started yeah. exaggerating claims. I'm not saying that he didn't see anything because I think he did, uh, but um, yeah, I think he I think he made a lot of it. I, I
1: think mostly because it's been built on a, a monastery, uh, it was built on in 1362. Around that time, uh, and, up then, and then up to today, I think most of the uh, alleged sightings, the alleged noises, I think are residual. Hmm. I don't think the real ghost coming Ooh. back because you know the 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 restless spirits. I don't believe that. These, I think um, uh, it's just residual uh, actions and noises that's happened well, in these, the past. Uh,
2: yeah, apart from looking in the window, that's, that's that sort of, uh, and, the, and the battle breaking, I'm not quite sure, but the um, the monastery thing, I mean, the Willers and all that, you know, it was said to be built in this monastery. And, and yeah, and that is, you
1: know, I mean, there was a count in the seventies and the eighties about the lorry drivers, you know, on the road there, on the bypass there. I mean, there's many counts of lorry drivers going to the going into the cafes and, and the shaking like mad and going, "What's up? What's going on?" And I said, "Well, we we was going on, I and mean, we saw these two nuns. Uh, sorry, these two monks. Uh, you know, we." we and uh, and they said that what round here? No, in Bali. All oh, right, mm. in on, in Bali uh, on the grounds. You know, because there's a back, is a road, big road up that down near by. Uh, they said that they they they. they this s- is near Essex, in yeah, yeah, yeah near, yeah, near Essex, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, they they saw there's many law drivers um, and drivers soon have seen these monks. You know, walking towards them. You know, from off on, from off on the, the site itself. Yeah, and some have said they they felt that these were not monks they felt there was evil there you know they mm-hmm. just felt this they've got to get out mm. you know whatever
2: well, I mean if you see something strange like that I think you, you know, it's going to be filled with happiness I guess but well no I mean obviously yeah, you
1: know yeah. you, you know it's again you know it's. I mean this is still happening today so it's not uh, it's not like you know the, the odd rapping or you know the odd sight it's it's, it's sometimes they can f- see its full apparition mm.
2: well that's Borley Rectory hopefully you enjoyed
1: yes Borley
2: interesting story. Yes, uh, and then obviously you've probably got your own opinions. If you want to let us know, you know where to find us. You can either direct, you no, know, direct messages on Facebook. i
1: hopefully uh, next year if, if we if we can get some free time, buddy. Uh, we can maybe maybe pop to Bali mm. and that a look interesting.
2: Around yeah. But you know, or email us at dbto podcast yep. at gmail.com. Visit the website don't break the podcast uh, dot com. And if you've got a story. An interesting paranormal story, or funny story, or even a joke that you want us to tell on the show, or a shout out, even Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just email us or you know direct messages on Facebook, and we will endeavor to put that on the next show. Absolutely. So, um, well, Merry Christmas.
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas, and we will see you in the new year. Hopefully
2: uh, next week, but we'll we'll see how the shows yeah figures things figure out.
1: But uh, yeah, thank you
2: for joining us today. Thank you very and, uh, much. We thank will you. see you again.
1: Bye now. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't
0: the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. <laughs>